Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Food Flow, the podcast dedicated to the in-depth exploration of the beautiful world of food. My name is Ivor Margerison from thefoodflow.com, and I am joined here today by Carrie Brandt, a professor of sociology and gender studies at Fort Lewis University, who interestingly enough is a vegetarian turned rancher. Carrie, great to have you on the show. Hi, thanks for having me. So the topic today is uh, something I'm, I'm really excited about because um, growing up on the border of Montana, I've known some mm. cattle ranchers and going to school in Colorado, I've known plenty of vegetarians, but I've never met anyone who has populated both realms. So uh, <laughs> today we're just going to be getting into the, uh, Carrie's journey from plant-based to cattle ranching and uh, some of the lessons she's learned as well as touching on some of the ethical and sustainable elements of cattle ranching. So Carrie, to start sure. off, why don't we just kind of do uh, your story? I mean, how did you, what was the first transition from tofu to hamburgers? <laughs> <laughs> well, the short of that is I fell in love, but the, the long of it is after I got my PhD and I started my teaching job, I was pretty immersed in human animal studies and in gender studies. And those were my passions. And in my work in human animal studies over the years, I started to really question the practice of eating meat. And so while I was in graduate school, I made the decision to stop eating meat. And when I became a professor, I was still a vegetarian. And um, then soon after that, a, a friend wanted to set me up on a date with this cattle rancher that I had heard about for a really long time, this David. And so, and, and it's quite far away from the the college where I work. And so when I was driving over there, I remember thinking it was just this really crazy decision to drive over this mountain pass to go on a date <laughs> with a cattle rancher. <laughs> but something pulled me there. And and I fell in love. I fell in love with David. And, and it, it kind of turned my world upside down in some ways, in terms of all of my thinking about humans' relationships to animals. I decided it was important to, to explore what I was feeling and experiencing and not come to some definitive decision on whether I should or shouldn't eat animals, but just to sort of explore what life was like on the ranch and who David was. And, and in that time, I started then to change how I thought about our relationship to animals. And and it's not that I, I came to this place where I decided it was okay to eat meat, but I did start to eat our cows from time to time. And I guess so from there, now I'm no longer a vegetarian. And I still struggle with it all, all the time and not, not in, so, on, um, in this very... I struggle with it, I think, in a really uh, positive way for me in that... I've realized that it's important when we're thinking about the question of animals and humans' relationship to animals that we do sort of struggle with difficult questions. So that was that's really sort of what's emerged for me out of, of living on the ranch, and, it, and it's gone right into my teaching too because I teach about animals, and that is to to really sort of push people to to think deeply and about their relationship to animals and raise really important questions. Um, because I think sometimes people are afraid to ask those questions. Like uh, meat eaters are often afraid to ask those questions about who animals are or how cows experience agriculture, say. 
because I think they're afraid of where that the their sort of reasoning will take them. And so they kind of shut down that question. And I think the same thing happens too for people who don't eat meat. They become really certain about their position and they stop asking questions. And so, I mean, to just put it in a word, I think I'm, I'm on this journey of uncertainty now and very comfortable with that. And that in being uncertain, I'm able to sort of raise a lot of questions in my own mind and, and hopefully with other people to begin to dialogue about animals, particularly animals in agriculture. Well, I think, uh, and, and that makes sense. And that, and I think when you say to talk to people not asking the questions or like you said, maybe scared of the answers that they get, mm-hmm. um, whether it be from the vegan or the meat eater side of it, but it's mm-hmm. interesting to think, uh, I mean, what is that? I think a lot of people don't even really think to ask the questions, right? A lot of it stems from, you know, the disassociation we have yeah. with, uh, animals. And it sounds like to begin with, you had already thought a little bit critically about the decision to, stop eating meat. But was that a big thing for you? I mean, going and seeing what it was like, seeing what the cows actually live like, what a rancher actually does. Is that what kind of made you realize that like hamburger has like a story behind it? Because a lot (laughs) of people don't when it gets thrown to you out of a, out of a window, you know, there's no story. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Well, there, there's a couple things you're raising there. And I think like both the things we could talk about, one is that disassociation. And the other is just, I mean, I had I had thought a lot about animals and agriculture before I met David, but it was really mind-opening for me to come to live on the ranch and, and see how much love and care there is for the animals and how much sort of the world revolves around the animals and the animals' needs. And I think I... I had a little bit, not as much, but I do see it a lot in my students and in sort of dominant culture, a bit of a stereotype about ranchers as these sort of hyper-masculine gruff men that, you know, don't really have any emotional connection to animals and they're just in it for profit or whatever. And, and, and what I found in coming to live on the ranch, that that was very, that was very much not true of David, nor of many of the other ranchers I was starting to come to know. And so, you know, it was it was really a mind opening experience for me, especially after a whole cycle, a year on the ranch and really seeing how the whole process works. Well, and that's and it's interesting, like, I mean, that that system being built around the animals, it's it's kind of a like a co-evolution, you know, a lot of mm-hmm. agricultural livestock and humans. And yeah, I had right. an, an opportunity to spend some time on a on a goat dairy. And it was like the family, the small, you know, farm, their life revolved around these goats. Like they protected the goats, they fed the goats and the goats seemed like they loved it. They were really Mm -hmm. happy to be like in Mm -hmm. this, you know, well-kept protected grass pasture. And, uh, you really start to kind of, kind of see that differently. It's, it is an interesting experience. Yeah. And certainly that's, I mean, in this case you are advocating for meats, meat coming from systems that are ethical in that way, I guess. Yeah. And systems that are really, I mean, the meat industry, I think is uh, not, I think it is very much human centered, especially industrial agriculture. And I think we could do a better job of building animal agriculture that is, is centered around the animals first. So what does it mean to, to have a cow centric cattle operation or beef operation or beef industry like what is it if you were to organize the whole industry around cattle how would it look differently 
And and that's something that I'm really passionate about. Well, and what would be some of the, I mean, what are some of the hurdles that a progression towards that are facing and what would be some of the things that would be needed? I mean, obviously it, uh, more, I mean, more resources, profit margins are affected, but right. what do you see as some of the issues with that? You know, it's complicated, right? Because yeah. of living in sort of late stage capitalism, but I mean, I mean, one of the issues is people eat a lot of meat right. in, in U.S. culture. So the demand for meat is high. Yeah. And I think that if we were going to start to change animal agriculture, you know, it, it would have to also happen on the consumer side where we would, as a community of humans, decide that we don't need to eat as much meat as we do. And then we could also then begin to think about how to to move sort of animals out of those sort of mass industrial systems that are quite efficient and that I want to, I hate to use this language around animals, but that produces a lot of food. And that's the side of it. If you were to completely disconnect from ethical uh, aspects of the equation, I mean, part of you, you know, as someone involved with my food system, you know, food systems interests, it's like when you see that it's fascinating, a system that can give, meat give meat so mm-hmm. cheaply to yeah. everyone in america mm-hmm. at any point of the day they can get a burger and part of you you know you want to fist pump and then you like look a little closer <laughs> and then it's like ah maybe there is you know some issues there but um, yeah and i think in when you put efficiency first you know in the in the ways in which i think we have an industrial agriculture i think what has also been a byproduct of that is immense animal suffering right and I think, you know, it's really important to, to to dialogue about that that suffering because we could do it better and we could do it differently. Yeah, I think having I mean, I think I think having to like not just, you know, shielding yourself from those thoughts and particularly with the case of eating meat. I mean, like you said, a lot of people just kind of separate themselves from it and they can right. because the chicken in the store doesn't look anything like an animal. <laughs> right. That's right. They can't. I think a big side of that, too, is that, like you said, the consumption rates Certainly, um, I can imagine. I mean, how has your meat eating now compared to meat eating before you were a vegetarian? I mean, are you eating less or are you doing it more strategically? Yeah, I would say I eat less and more strategically. I think that's a big thing too with uh, – I've seen people that kind of start little gardens in their backyard and it's kind of a similar mm-hmm. idea. You know, when you grow a tomato – 40% of it's not going to end up in the garbage can. And currently that's, that's, right. that's where America's food goes. About 40% yeah. is wasted. And uh, I think a big of it, part of that comes from the disconnect. I mean, the reason that I, you know, grew up so comfortably eating bacon cheeseburgers without ever thinking about a dairy operation, a cattle operation and pigs <laughs> is that disconnect. And, um, yeah. being a step closer, you know, it really does make you think about it can help with food waste. And certainly you start thinking a little bit more about the quality and where it came from. Mm-hmm. And I think like it's it also it's a great point you're raising if we could have if we could connect people more with agriculture, I think that that would go a long way to sort of changing their perceptions about maybe food waste or, you know, what they decide to buy or how exactly. much they yep. decide to buy. But because the way in which we sort of marginalized sort of ranchers and farmers in the U.S. now, you know, people really have lost a lot of connection to to that, the, the process of producing food. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. And I think another side of it, I kind of want to get into, uh, is the, the role that they can play in not just sustainable meat production, like not just the argument that meat can be produced sustainably, but the role that animals play in a sustainable agricultural system. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, with your ranch, what do you, 
as far as your manure, or is that going to a different farm? Is what are I mean? Mm-mm. So we don't use. There's no sort of inputs on the ranch. Like there's no fertilizer okay. or any. It all comes from the cows. Oh. So the cows come home to the ranch, say in the month of November, and they spend the next sort of six months almost on the ranch. And that entire time they're sort of being rotated around on the grass on the ranch. And so they're pooping and peeing a lot. And that poop and pee is full of a lot of nutrients that the soil and the plants really, really like. And so and then they're using their feet to sort of grind the seeds in and get the nutrients in and and sort of aerate the earth or what have you and and so it's it's a system that works really well well and, so then, and a natural yeah. i mean it's the ecosystem that's what's hilarious yeah. is that you know if i tried to make a it's little already, <laughs> it was already I, there if i tried to make a little ecosystem ball and I, there was no animals in it and then you gave me like an animal and I put it in there, it'd be like, this was the missing piece. You know I mean? It's, yeah. it's how nature, there is animals yes. that decompose and they're, they're part of, and to, you know, when people talk about like, oh, if we didn't have cattle, we could have more, uh, mm-hmm. we could grow more vegetables. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, but when you manipulate, uh, an ecosystem and create an agro ecosystem, the most sustainable thing that in my mind anyway, would be to make one that mimics an ecosystem, which means you need animals. animals right? And it's uh, some of the most beautiful, you know, permaculture systems that I've seen small, you know, on smaller scales where they have chickens that are going through the fields and they're eating pests, you know, and they, they are feeding scraps to pigs, you know, who are decomposing and creating it's animals are part of the system. <laughs> like yeah. it's, they've always, they've always been, you're right. And I think it, it wasn't until we sort of began to industrialize agriculture and get into monocropping that we started to separate animals from our plant crop production. Right. And when we did that, you know, we've created a quite a mess in terms of soil conditions, questions around water, you know, air quality, all kinds of things, water health, you know. So in in taking animals away from sort of plant production, we have really messed up an ecosystem that's worked forever. And farming not that long ago, people weren't just a rancher. They weren't just a corn farmer. It would have been uh, you had every everything played its part, you know, and it's, yeah, and uh, yeah, that's 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 interesting to think about the separation of that. What it's and also being in different parts of the country, you know, there's a lot of livestock operations that maybe are producing excess manure, but instead mm-hmm. of bringing it to a different farm where it can act yep. as a fertilizer, mm-hmm. it has to just sit in a lagoon and like you know issues yeah. with that. So which is heartbreaking. You know, and that's what I mean. Like we could just do this all so much better and I don't (laughs) think it would take that much in some ways. You know, sometimes people or my students especially feel really overwhelmed, but I'm like, we, we, we know how to do it better. So let's, let's start. And people are starting to do it better. You know, that's better for animals and better for the environment and and communities are starting. Consumers are starting to, uh, you know, put money into it, you know, with with the sales. Mm -hmm. I mean, people are demanding these, they want these kind of meats and that's exciting because a farmer, when he has demand, you know, he can, he can go in those directions if that, if he wants to. And it's, so it is an exciting time for it. That's a, I know. think it is. I really do. Yeah. And then like your point, listening to David's father lives on the ranch and he's 86. And when he talks about his childhood on the ranch, it's, it's, it was a different place. There was pigs, there was sheep, there was right. lettuce, there was potatoes there. I mean, they grew all kinds of crops and all, and all kinds of animals existed and and it's not until we sort of began to industrialize that we said, you know, let's do all this monocropping. You know, like with with the hamburger that you can get, you know, at any time of the day for 
10, 20 cents mm-hmm. and there's some advantages but as far as um there's some disadvantages obviously and mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's uh but it is an interesting time for it because uh kind of the animal ethics side of it like what animal well-being it's nice that I'm kind of seeing that movement is able to piggyback onto quality uh mm-hmm. so it's also like like even if you don't care about how happy or ethical they're raised you might nutritionally prefer right. grass-fed beef and that in turn kind of is, equates to a more ethical raising of the animal. So right. I, I think it's an exciting time for the animal ethics be, or you know animal welf- welfare to kind of get on that same ship and have a little more consumer dollars, you know, unfortunately yeah. it's a capitalistic system where money talks and you know if you need a little more than just a good message. So that's right. yeah. Yeah. And that and that, yeah, and I think there's there's two things there about, you know, I think we need to find ways to get that sort of high quality food to poorer communities, you know, right now right. because of this consumer demand, it's, it's middle and upper class people who can really afford the higher quality. Every day it's seeming foods. a little more like upper class. Every time I go to the grocery store and oh, look at the prices. Cause it's just <laughs> and then, so you have poor communities where there's a lot of 99 cent hamburgers yep. on the corner and it makes sense why people buy them and eat them. You know, but so we need to find ways also to say that we have an obligation to, you know, poorer communities to have access to healthy foods. Yeah. And I think that's an interesting uh, topic that I see bouncing around right now is like food deserts. And people mm-hmm. people think like and like in the book uh, Stuffed and Starved, I forget the author, his name, but the idea that it's two sides to the same coin, that half the world's obese and the other half is you know hungry. I, I don't know the right. statistics exactly, but that idea in these poor communities, you say food desert and you're like, oh no, they got a 24-hour 7-Eleven. They can get <laughs> as many calories as they want for $2. But yeah. it's still a food desert because a food desert mm-hmm. Is implies that you're they're lacking of nutrients. Calories, yep. we got plenty of those, but plenty. nutrition, quality food, and that's it's that's that's the scary part because now with this demand of um, affluent like urban urbanites who want yes. grass fed meat, it's it's hard for anyone else to really get their hands on it. And that is yeah, that's certainly an issue. Yeah, but there's also these really hopeful, exciting projects, you know, because I I work with students, which always is. A hopeful endeavor, I think. <laughs> and and I also live, um, the college is not far from the Navajo Reservation. And so we have really amazing students doing neat things around food sovereignty on the Navajo Reservation. And so sort of reclaiming traditional ways of growing plant crops. There's some really neat things happening. That's that's awesome. Yeah. And it's, it seems like every day, uh, Civil Eats, if you guys aren't aware of civileats.com, Check it out. It seems like every day their Twitter feed is like a new group of like entrepreneurs or a new nonprofit mm-hmm. or a new group of people who are, you know, fighting the real food fight. And it's mm-hmm. it's beautiful. Yeah, it's. I think it's very exciting. Very exciting. And I also think like, and not you're not really asking about this, but also it's important not to quite to to romanticize it too, like especially the grass fed industry. That oh you know if it's grass fed right. it's all it's yep. all perfect that was know? on my list to get yeah yep. <laughs> that was yeah and so so to not get too starry eyed about it too because that's that same thing where then we stop asking these really important questions you know and so to sort of continue to say the, these things are really great and we need to continue to dialogue about it because some of the, and those, and those labels, they can get, they can get tricky too, you know? And oh. like when people ask me about organic, you know, I love the idea of it. I love for the first time that a tomato isn't just a tomato, but at the mm-hmm. same time, organic farm, I mean, there's tons of organic farms that are not sustainable. They're not environmentally friendly. And if we just say like grass fed equals good, then 
Yes. Where do we, you know, like you I love that though. Like that idea of just asking questions, continually asking questions about right. it and not just settling because, um, organic, you know, organic has a lot of its own issues and I'm sure, uh, mm-hmm. grass fed and natural, you know, beef has same kind of problems, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think too easily with our food systems, we can just stop stop asking those really important questions. And we've been talking about animals, but also thinking about sort of all the migrant farm workers that are sort of picking our tomatoes and our grapes in the U.S. Yep. Try to understand those issues and struggle with them. Because what I find too, when people learn about those things, then they think, well, gosh, I'm a bad person. Then if I eat these tomatoes and then they, they get kind of, they seem to get kind of stuck. And so we live in this crazy kind of capitalist system where you can really enjoy your tomatoes and also know that those tomatoes were picked by migrant farm workers in probably really horrible conditions. And so if you can allow yourself to hold those two things together, then you can say, now I can start to sort of dialogue and ask questions instead of, you know, feel guilty about this or turn a blind eye to that. You you know what I mean? I think we get stuck in those positions and we need to just continue to interrogate these systems. Well, it can, like you said, I mean, you you dig a little too far and then you get overwhelmed and then you're, you know, Mm -hmm. you just decide there's like, there's nothing you can do. There's nothing that can be done. You're back where you started. And actually, actually, that's one of my, uh, one of the things I heard you say that I really, I really love when you said it's hard to eat without causing harm. Uh, I mean, that's the kind of, that's the world we live in currently right now where it's like that tomato, like what was behind a tomato? It may seem right. like just a plant, you know, it's vegetarian, it's vegan, but there could be a lot of environmental and human and animal uh, suffering behind it. Yeah. So it's, yeah. And I, well, and I said that in the film, but I think, and I feel a little embarrassed how naive I was, but I think I really felt like if I wasn't eating meat, that my food choices were pretty solid. Right. And then I started studying things and thinking, wow, our food systems are really in trouble, I think. I mean, there's a lot of harm caused to humans, to land, to the environment, to animals, and that we know we can do it better. And so let's start talking about it. Yep. Yep. I think that's, that's where it all starts. The, the Having the conversation, having the dialogue, that's the real moral of the story is that it is, it is extremely complicated. Um, mm-hmm. And the organic sticker doesn't tell the whole story. The grass fed mm-hmm. label doesn't tell the whole story. No. And, and uh, but you know, getting closer to your meat, you can start to figure out more about the story, I guess. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. And, and have, and have a real sort of deep sense of reverence that, that this animal is giving its life, not giving, no, we're taking this animal's life for our own benefit and to just hold some space for that and yep. acknowledge that. Yep. Yep. And I think, uh, actually I saw, um, the hungry did a piece, uh, Kelsey Blamus did a piece on, on, uh, prosciutto and it follows it. And like the beginning is like this, mm. like it's a video and she was just commenting on the video, but it's like this epic beginning of like a landscape and the farm and the farmer and the, you know, the guy's talking and it's really beautiful and good music. And then he like, he's petting a pig and then he pulls out like a 22 pistol and, and shoots it in the oh, head yeah. and takes it and like, and, you know, follows the process. And it seems like I, I felt like I'd been betrayed by the video or I felt like it was like cruel mm. or wrong. And it's like, no, like that's what yeah. happens. Mm-hmm. And it's not that. You know, everyone, I mean, it's a little extreme to think everyone has to think about animals being murdered every time they eat a chicken sandwich, Right. But just taking that step, just acknowledging. And like you said, even just talking about it and not just shielding yourself to it. I think mm-hmm. obviously that's a pretty powerful step. 
So in kind of, uh, I guess to wrap things up here, I mean, what kind of uh, your journey? I mean, that's what the talk was about. What have you, uh, what is kind of the, the lesson that you've learned? Well, I think that is that we can, we can hold complex feelings and experiences together. And by that, I mean, we can love animals deeply and we can eat them. And we can sort of grapple with that paradox, I guess, if you will. You know, I have sometimes students um, who don't eat meat. They tell me it's just not possible that I could actually love these cows and eat them. But all I know is what my experience is and that I do care for them greatly and I do eat them. And so given that, like, how can I then use this complex experience to then ask questions about how we should, you know, live with animals or how we should eat animals? And I think in that space is where really rich thinking comes into existence and and some really neat ideas because you think about some of the things that are changing in agriculture that are better for animals and those are coming from people in animal agriculture who are wanting to change the way their animals live you know they're not necessarily coming from animal rights activists right, right. and so giving them credit and and seeing that they're sort of struggling with these things and trying to do it better and then try to have a dialogue in that space is, I think that's sort of the, the biggest thing that, that, you know, I'm sort of immersed in at this point. Yep. The, the complexity of, of each stakeholder involved, I mean, the roles, you know, ranchers aren't, like you said in the beginning, like all these, all the mm-hmm. ranchers aren't these people who are hamburger hungry, you know, animal torturers, I guess, mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. that idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. They're really, I've met a lot of men who cry about their animals and 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 that was really surprising to me there is an interesting relationship between mm-hmm. i mean and not just we know there's an interesting relationship between dogs and humans but there's a relationship there between livestock and humans or at least there you know can be in some systems and i think mm-hmm. that's a good point that a lot of people forget and that's the thing for you guys going forward you know that's uh you know read your labels look for local food, demand higher quality food, if at all possible. You know, it's a, it's an exciting movement right now. There's a lot of information out there. Yeah. And, uh, other than that, Carrie, I mean, most people that come on my show, they're you know from a website or something. Is there, is there any, do you have a digital sphere where people can find out more about, uh, you or what you got going on? I don't have a digital sphere for me. <laughs> um, can we but, come, can we come to the university and sit in on your classes? What are I would rules love that. that? <laughs> anyway. okay. And the ranch has a website and it's beefbison.com. Well, yeah, I think, I think in-person interaction would be better. If you can, guys can get out to Fort Lewis university, see what Carrie has to say. <laughs> I'd love it. <laughs> I think that's all we got for today. Uh, Carrie, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Ivor. Good luck. Once again, guys, that was Professor Carrie Brandt, and I am Ivor Mar Jarrison from thefoodflow.com. If you're interested in some of the other projects I got going on, be sure to check out the website. The apparel line is up and running. Obviously, I got some more podcast episodes and blog posts. On Instagram, I do 15 to 20 second informative and entertaining videos. Be sure to add me, food.flow. Thanks for stopping by. See you guys next time.